This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. We talk about inspiration a lot here on Revision Path. So I wanted to ask John Angelo, a product designer at Facebook, what inspires him? I have a daughter with Down syndrome and she is, you know, I, it's it's been the biggest exercise of, you know, usability that I've ever had, better than anything I could have ever been taught. And just seeing her, you know, her experience, you know, using using uh, different devices and uh, and uh, just thinking just basic things around life uh, help uh, inspire me to get better at as, as a designer to make things easier for her to use. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. This week, Buffer has a remote position available for a product engineer. Vox Media is looking for a visuals editor for Curbed at their New York City office. Cast Inc. is looking for an interaction and UI designer in Wakefield, Massachusetts. Fog Creek Software is looking for a design engineer for Glitch. And here at Revision Path, we're looking for a design writer to join our team. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. Again, that's revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I want to talk about our sponsors, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. Whether you're into design, coding, music, or art, Glitch is the right tool for you. Start from scratch or remix any of the available projects and make them your own. And if you get stuck, just raise your hand and get help from the Glitch community. Get started on making something awesome today at glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. Again, that's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. Did you know that the number one email marketing priority is personalization? It makes sense if you think about it. You only really want to hear from people and businesses that you like and trust. And MailChimp helps make that happen with their robust campaign builder and a host of helpful automations. It's email marketing with a personal touch. Sign up at MailChimp.com today for a free account. MailChimp. Send better email. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking to Daniel Dixon, a creative director at Vivo. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Dan Dixon. I'm creative director of Vivo here in New York City. 
So I'm curious to know, what is a typical day like for you at Vivo? Can you kind of, I guess, first tell people what Vivo is and then talk about what a typical day is like for you? Sure. Vivo is a premium music video platform. So all those videos you see from like Taylor Swift or like really big name artists or even like up and coming artists, we um, we distribute through YouTube and our O&O kind of operated channels. And, and a typical day at Vivo, I guess for me, is really... I manage a small team, a small nimble team of um, multidisciplinary designers, and we work on the marketing side and the brand side. So we're responsible for, I'm responsible for making sure the brand voice and aesthetic is, is upheld and evolved. And then I work with my team on their projects to make sure they're making good progress and everything. So I also design myself too. So I design when I can, but you know, for the most part, my day is like managing the team and the projects that we're working on. And those projects can be anything from an artist visit, that comes through to talk about their new project and we do like pro shots with them or professional shots with them and environmental videos with them. Or it could be us working on a, a promo for, for one of our apps, or it could even be, um, we do graphic design packages or motion packages for some of the shows that Vivo, Vivo puts out. So right now we have this thing called Live at Vivo and I work with the team to make sure all those graphics fit really well with the footage. It's kind of everything. It's, um, it's, it's marketing, it's brand, it's promotion of the music videos, the artist, and the content that Vivo creates. It sounds like it's kind of different every day. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. We're at the whim of the, of the music industry, and so for the most part, there's no rhyme or reason to kind of how things roll through. People are in, like, cycle. But for the most part, like, if an artist is in New York and they want to pop by, that's an opportunity for us to kind of, like, surface that, that person with our audience and make sure people know about them. So every day is really different in terms of working with that talent. But then also, we're also pretty entrepreneurial and scrappy, and we try to like figure out things to do for ourselves to kind of, um, to kind of evolve the brand and keep things moving. So there's stuff that, that the, the actual schedule of the music industry kind of like affects, you know, anything like from like the Grammys to um, any awards. So like the, the Brits happened last night, mm-hmm. and our team in the UK was working on that and, and covering that. So we're definitely, we're not a news organization. We're definitely a media company, a media tech company. But we, um, we try to be a part of those conversations when it, com- when it comes to like artists or artist events, the Grammys, the Brit Awards, things like that. So it is very different every day. It sounds like it could be really exciting since, you know, like you said, you're at the whim of the of the music industry. And plus, you're also putting together live shows and doing promotions and things like that. At first, when I thought of Vivo, I thought it was just like part of YouTube. But you said you actually distribute through YouTube. Is that right? Yeah, uh, the, the probably the best way to explain it is that we we get our, we get our videos direct from the actual labels themselves. So um, UMG, Sony, Warner, and then we um, and then we put those videos on YouTube. So we have a partnership with the labels, and we also have a partnership with YouTube, and so we just distribute those videos when they come in. Interesting. Yeah. Nice. So, what have you learned at Vivo that's different from other creative positions that you've held? That's a great question. You know, I think the one of the biggest learning experiences was when I got to Vivo, we had a new CEO and I was hired around the time that he was appointed. And so really going through a big transition as a, as a company at, with a new CEO at the helm, he had a different vision. And so we were definitely pivoting and shifting. I wasn't a part of the older the older regime, so I didn't have any any frame of thought around that. So really just being at a company that is just about to start transitioning into like a new company was super challenging. That was probably the the thing I learned most is just about kind of like grit and sticking it out. It was uncomfortable in the beginning, 
just because things were new and like undocumented and we, we just didn't know where it was going. We didn't know where it was going to, where it was going to lead, but you know, we believed in our leader, our CEO and to, to take us on the right path. And so, you know, some people on during that transition, they found it too uncomfortable and they, you know, decided to leave. So, yeah. so managing the change, managing the transition, but then on the other side of it, understanding that like last year was, um, I came to Vivo in 2015 and 2017 for Vivo was one of his best years. So about two years in, it got really, really good. So, mm-hmm. so for me, it was really interesting to be at, be at a place at the beginning of a cycle and kind of trudging through that awkward kind of like uncomfortable period. But on the other side of that was like a really gratifying period with like tons of great work and um, tons of great experiences on that. So, yeah, so I would say just the transitioning or managing that transition was probably the biggest like learning experience for me at Viva. Are you still kind of facing those transitional challenges now? They're, I mean, they're different now. It's, you know, I, I think Vivo established itself as a, as a really, um, we had a, like three good years of just like really excellent positive press about the company. Mm-hmm. And so now it's more about just kind of maintaining the reputations there, um, more professional, things like that. So now it's about maintaining. So the challenges are different. It's more about like the shifting media landscape and how people consume media and what that really means. And those are the challenges right now. As far as the work is concerned, like, you know, I think I'm always about finding the, the philosophical angle or bend to like the work to, so it can actually be a little more um, based in logic or based in like a thought or a feeling. So I try to like really pull from like, um, like philosophy when it comes to actually creating work. So I got that pretty down pat, but the other part of it of, of like not knowing where the industry is going is a place where, where it can get really, really tricky if you get caught up in that, in that world. So what is your philosophy as a designer? Hey, That's you really mentioned philosophy. Yeah, I, had to... <laughs> I did, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it kind of goes back and forth, but right now I'm really about I'm really about when, when it comes to designing and making things. I'm really just about kind of making work that's kind of allegorical. That's allegorical. So work that has multiple meanings can be interpreted in different ways. Um, work that's dynamic. I used to say things like, you know, well, I really love Jay Z's first album, that Reasonable Doubt album, because every time I listen to it, I heard something new. Mm-hmm. And it's um, kind of timeless. So I always wanted to like have the work that I created have the work that I create have that vibe where it was always when you came back to it, you might see something different or you might view it a different way or something like that. So I always wanted that kind of timeless appeal to my work. So I guess my philosophy is just around making things like visually interesting, visually compelling. And th- there's a part where I balance it out with like logic. But for the most part, I try to go with how something makes me feel as opposed to what mathematically works or what looks right mathematically. So I guess that's kind of my philosophy overall, just like, like how does the work make me feel? Mm-hmm. Um, and I try to like pump that out through the visuals. Now, is this the first kind of a uh, team lead position that you've had? It's like my second, like I, I was at Nickelodeon and I, I was an art director there and I had a small team of like designers and animators. And, and then after that, I went to Tribeca Film Festival, which is Tribeca Enterprises. And I had a small team there. Of a, like, I had a digital designer and a motion designer. And this is probably the first time I've ever been able to kind of build a team at Vivo. So I, you know, I built this team from the ground up. So mm-hmm. that's been really great to, to like hand select people. And they know that I have their best interests at heart. And I, well, I'm well-intentioned. And then there's a certain loyalty there that you can't really... When you inherit people, it's a little different. Um, yeah. You have to like earn their trust and vice versa. Yeah, but when you hire people directly and you kind of scout them and, and find them and recruit them, um, there's a, just an embedded kind of loyalty and friendship there. With, so that's been really great. Well, that's got to be interesting. You were able yeah. to kind of build your team from the ground up. When you were kind of going through that, what challenges did you face? It really, was around um, 
knowing like who's the best person, but who is the most potential and the best kind of vibe or fit with the team that was existing. And the other challenge for me is like the admin side of it, which is like writing job descriptions, knowing what I need, kind of de- so defining what what roles I needed and mm-hmm. defining what type of skills I needed. And that was tricky because there was there's really no precedent for the work that we're about to do. So I knew I just needed like people that were really flexible and interested and intrigued and, and curious and hopefully had a, had good taste. Nice. Let's go back to some of these previous positions. You mentioned Tribeca, you mentioned Nickelodeon. Let's go to the Tribeca film festival. Were you doing kind of creative director work there as well? Yeah, I was um, the creative director of the um, Tribeca film festival for about two and a half years. And being there was that was like a master class. You know, I can't say enough about the organization. It's 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 um it's world class. I, I learned so much there while I was there. It had an entrepreneurial vibe, it had kind of a startup mentality. And the co-founders were very, very much about like emerging technology and um connecting with the younger audience and making a big splash. So being there, it was really great because I got to work on like a lot of different things. I got to work on early app development, also got to work on on our rebrand for Tribeca, I got to work on this really like interesting site that we put together. So there's a lot of things that I never really worked on with an organization. And I got the chance to like do all those things, building presentations and really figuring out like my point of view was really great there. So, but being there was awesome having access to the films and the filmmakers and the festival itself is about 12 days. So you can imagine like, you know, for 12 days, we're just like really running on fumes. You know, we're just, you know, we're, we're setting up the, the different like POP or the um, or the box office like graphics, setting up posters. There's all these parties that happen during the festival. So we're I, I, I worked with a bunch of photographers to make sure each event was covered or had a photographer at the event and, you know, setting up a, a style guide, photography style guide with them. Let them know what, what kind of pictures we wanted and directing them. And then also, you know, getting the person into like a photo editor to make sure that we were you know organized around things. So it was like a really it was a really big ecosystem yeah. and I had never really been exposed to a system, a system that big and that wide. And then so many different people. So for me, like I, I'm used to working on like smaller teams and working on like a few projects at a time. This was like full on all the time. And the ramp up was really crazy because we were, the festival starts in April, like middle of April, mm-hmm. but we were already concepting for the next festival in December. Yeah. So you, you just imagine like, like once April's over, you might have kind of a summer, you take a vacation, and then by October, you're kind you're of right back, back thinking it. about <laughs> you're right back in it. So plus that, and then also all the other initiatives we tried to kind of pull off. So the festival was the main focus, but Tribeca has a great system of sub-brands. So there's um there's Tribeca Enterprises, the philanthropic aspect of Tribeca. There's like so many different pieces to it. So for me, like for me, it was really great because you got to be exposed to like all those different sub-brands and how they should look and feel and and kind of help manage those perceptions. So for me, it was like a masterclass. Like really, I thought Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network were like were big jobs for me, but this one was the kind of the most hands-on and the one where I had the most things to figure things out, like and figure it out fast. Yeah, I feel like when you're working, you know, as a designer, you're working in creative. There, as you progress in your career, you'll eventually get to that position where it kind of forces you to level up a bit. Yeah, <laughs> and it sounds like that's what this was for you. Like it was something where you really were pressed to kind of take your skills and spread them over. A number of different types of tasks. Yeah, yeah, that, that's super accurate. There, there were so many things that we did. So much that we did. It felt like four or five years of work, but it all happened in a period of like two years. Talk to me about your time at Nickelodeon. That was yeah. what you did right before before Tribeca. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I did a couple of stints at Nickelodeon. Like I was there twice. The first time I was there, I worked on the brand team, and we worked on projects like the Kids' Choice Awards. We would work with like the on-air team to do style guides for different um, different seasonal packages. We did the upfront, so the presentation for the upfront worked on that. So uh, like, a, like a lot of like high-profile events and high-profile like projects we worked on. Also, when I was there, I, I got lucky enough to work on or design a book. It was a coffee table book for for Nickelodeon called Not Just Tunes, Nick Tunes, and mm-hmm. it was the first time we were, all Nickelodeon's original cartoons or or um, animations had been animated shows had been in um, an actual volume of book, and it sold. So that was a big project for me, like early on in my career. And then around 2008 or nine, like the economy kind of went down, went downhill, and I decided to like leave because it was getting uncomfortable there. The vibe had kind of changed, and I just felt like I felt like I was doing enough like outside freelance work and enough. Other things that I, I felt like I, I could survive on freelance and just do that. And I did that for about a year. And then I had some really great experiences there. And then I got a, I got a, a job offer back to come, to come back to Nickelodeon as an art director for the on-air team. That's when I like switched from print primarily to doing more motion and doing more art direction for shoots and things like that. It was that job. So coming back as art director on, on our team was like a really big, at the time it was a really big job for me. Like a lot of like fun stuff was happening. I worked in the Kids' Choice Awards. Two years, um, two years there, I actually won an Emmy for, for, for some of the packages we did. So oh, nice, yeah, it was like a really big boost for my for my career. Like you know, a little for my ego too, like a nice like pound the back of my ego. <laughs> you know, I remember mean, I mean, calling my parents and letting them know that I I got this award, and they were like, "What? Like what? <laughs> like what's going on?" And now it's like collecting dust, but you know, I'm still really proud of it. But but while I was at Nickelodeon, it was like really amazing. Like a lot of great experiences, a lot of great people worked with a lot of great companies to kind of help produce that work. So. It was one of the first times in my career where I had to work with a bunch of different people from different disciplines. So like producers, writers, editors, animators, motion designers, people that did like 3D rigging for some of the shows. My last project there, we worked on a show in the launch for the reboot of um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And oh, okay. I got to work with like the 3D artists that were, we were getting rigs from like the actual show production, like the 3D rigs and got to work with the, the guys on our, on our team that were animating those those like turtles to like move a certain way. And so it was really, really interesting to be a part of that process. Cause I, I'd never really been exposed to, um, to 3d like that in terms of like just actual the rigging the skeleton and making sure that, um, the, the characters are moving the right way. But that was one of my last projects there, but it was great. Kind of like felt like a full circle thing. Cause for me, that property itself or that, you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, that's, that was like the first thing that I read as a kid that got me excited about like drawing in comics. So Oh, nice. <laughs> so when I was able to work on that, I was like, man, it's like a dream come true. It'd yeah. be amazing to work on that legacy property or legacy IP. And so I just felt like, okay, this is a good time for me to kind of like leave now. Like this, this feels really good. Like I want yeah. to be like on a note like this. That's dope. Which version of the Ninja Turtles when you were a kid? Was it the like 89 version or are we talking like Eastman and Lair comic book version? We're talking like yeah, Eastman and Layered. Okay. Yeah, those guys. Yeah. Like the real kind of dark the dark stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm curious about, you know, these positions that you've you've had have involved a lot of working with other individuals. You're really taking your skills and spreading them across, you know, a really kind of like we said, a wide amount of tasks. How did you sort of I guess position yourself to get to this part of your career? Like Talk to me about, you know, kind of how you structured things to get to where you are now. It starts kind of like in a, in a, in a place where I wasn't, I didn't feel like I was like reaching my potential or like doing what I thought I should be doing. I always felt I should be like somewhere else. 
And then I realized that I hadn't really that I hadn't really like brought any new people into the fold of my uh, of like what I was thinking about or I hadn't really like even talked about what my dreams were to people. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think two things, you know, people kind of give networking like a bad rap. But I think if you talk to people and are genuinely interested in about what they're doing or what they're about, then it's not really networking. It's just more of a conversation. Yeah. And I th- think that's what I realized is that I was avoiding these types of like social situations because I thought they were awkward and kind of forced. But like really just talking to people and figuring out what people are up to and telling them about what I was up to. And not like bragging or anything, but just being like, oh, I'm working on this project. I think it's this. And these are my, you know, these are my thoughts around design, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then pro- probably one of the bigger things that really happened is that around 2009, I got the job at Nickelodeon and I was a little freaked out because I was like, oh, man, I'll be working with all these different people. I had to really understand like the, what their role was so I can actually work with them. And then I had to then I realized that, you know, like the, working as a designer for as long as I have. There's like a second, a, a shorthand with designers. You can just say things and people get it. And so that shorthand was kind of a crutch. And it didn't really help me to like, you know, push my, push my thought process through or like my ideas across. And so working people in front of disciplines, I had to really work at that. And so I don't tell people, I don't tell a lot of people this, but I did, I did get like a, I, I got a coach for about four years while I was at Nickelodeon or Nickelodeon and Tribeca. So I got a career coach to coach me through some of these like issues because you know, I was talking with my wife about things and my friends, and it's kind of a drag to always bring up like your career stuff with your friends. You just want to hang out with your people. And so, and my wife, we were just kind of like, every time I would talk to her, we just weren't getting anywhere. And I was like, you know, I, I just need to get like, I need to get like an outside, an outside resource, help me put my, my thoughts into perspective and help me put my thoughts into action and somebody to kind of help me be accountable or help me like mind map what, what I'm thinking about or where I want to go. Uh-huh. And so getting that coach was the, was like the really, was the key moment where everything kind of shifted, shifted my perspective on everything. Like it was me just identifying the issues that I was experiencing. And then he and I sitting down, figuring out a plan to like overcome those issues. Was it difficult to get to that point where you realized that was what you needed to, to get to the next level? No, no. I'm really big on like taking on the challenge or or being uncomfortable if I have to be also kind of going back to music. It's always been an influence. And I, I was, kind of before all that happened i was looking at people like a kanye west and looking at people that were like winning and like i was like why are you guys winning i don't like i didn't really understand why people were like winning so much so i really studied like i studied people that had really great second albums and people that and artists that were doing like really excellent work and i was like what is their secret and what i realized was like the artists that have a really great second album they work with like they incorporate their life experiences and they work with a new producer or they work with new artists or a new musician, or they went to like, they went to like some city and was, and was, and were really inspired by the city and that influenced the album. So what I kind of came to realize is that I need to start incorporating like my life experiences into my work and, and not be so rigid about, not be so rigid about what I was, um, what I was and wasn't going to like do. So I think once I kind of realized that as long as you like bring people, bring new things into the equation, mm-hmm. you'll always kind of grow. That's when I was like, oh, I just need to talk to somebody <laughs> and like, or I need to like, you know, work with somebody new or I need yeah. to do something different or I need to like flip my process around or so it just became a matter of like, what's that second thing that I can do or what's that third thing that I can do to add to like what a, my creative foundation. You know, I'm really glad that you you mentioned that, particularly the part about, you know, kind of getting a career coach or, or soliciting some help once you realize that you had sort of reached an impasse and you needed to get to what the next level was. Oftentimes, we'll, you know, designers will write into the show 
and they'll you know they'll listen to the guests and they will say well how do i get you know to that level like how do i get to whatever that next level is i think oftentimes seeking out help in that way for people can be a bit of a challenge and i think it's cuz they might be thinking about it in a i don't know maybe like a mentor mentee sort of way as opposed yeah. to something perhaps more more transactional if that makes sense yeah, I think it's really important to be honest with yourself and you don't want to go insane if you keep doing the same thing and getting like and expecting different results. Yeah, that's like that's like the, the sheer sign that you're doing the probably the wrong thing. If you're just yeah. like expecting different results, but you're doing the same, same thing every time. So I kind of like got that lesson right away in terms of like in terms of like like mentee or, or a mentor versus like a coach. You need all those people. <laughs> you need you need people that you can talk to that are are maybe looking up to you. You need people that are like a little older than you that have done it, and then you need like a a person that that can be objective. The coach that I worked with just happens to work with like a lot of creative people, so he understands like creativity. But I you know, I don't know if I, I think I got lucky to meet him. So, but I but when, but when I realized what I was going through, I was like, oh, I need to like tap this guy and see if he can help me. Um, and he was like, yeah, I work with you, and no problem. So. Again, like not being afraid to ask for help and not being afraid to realize that you're kind of topping out on a certain level or yeah. a certain plateau. You need to kind of like level up, like you said earlier. And New York's a, New York's a really tough city to, to like live and work in. And so, you know, once you get comfortable, it's kind of the beginning of the, the end of your career. You have, to like really, <laughs> you have to really kind of stay stay up on stuff and stay educated and um, and stay curious. I mean, it sounds like the key is that you really just have to you have to invest in yourself. Yeah. Yeah, you definitely got to bet on yourself. You you definitely got to bet on yourself. You know, you, you think about um, I'm from Atlanta originally, and I remember okay. when I was moving to New York, my parents were like, "What are you doing, man? Like, stay here. Like, you got a good job." <laughs> I was working at Cartoon Network, and uh-huh. you know, and I, I was loved there. I, I loved what I was doing there, but I felt like I I needed something else in my life, and I went to college, and like, I going to college and going to high school in um in, in Atlanta, so I just I was like, I need to get out of here, and just like need to get out of here and kind of live the life I want to live. And yeah. And so my own philosophy was like, you know, I had this Cartoon Network job and I was like, you know what? Like, that's a big name. I'm pretty sure I can go to New York and find something. Uh-huh. And I just kind of bet on myself and said, you know, I can do it for six months or a year. And if it works out great, if it doesn't, you know, I wasn't meant to be and I tried or whatever. But once I got up here, I fell in love with it and, and all the people, all the energy. And, and also I, I got, people were telling me I was interviewing before I got the job at Cartoon and people were like telling me I need to leave because they're like, your portfolio is so expressive uh-huh. and so illustrative. The only jobs that were down there at the time were more advertising jobs and more corporate jobs. So, you know, the, the, <laughs> there, there, was, there, there wasn't really a place for me to even express the, the work that I wanted to do. So, it, yeah. you know, like I heard that like three times. I went to three different, three different interviews and somebody, people were like, you got to go to New York, dude. You got to get out of here. <laughs> so I was like, so I would also say to the audience, people are listening, like, you know, really listen to people. Like, listen to people like because yeah. you, you, you'll get like messages from here and there. And if you're like closed off to them, you, you won't make it. But or you, you, you won't make the connection. But um, if I, if I hear something three times, mm-hmm. I'm like, there's something to it. There's like evidence. So I just kind of roll with what the universe is kind of putting out there to me. You just brought up like five or six things that I want to ask about. <laughs> now. First of all, I didn't know you were from Atlanta. I, I saw that you yeah. went to Georgia State when I did my, yeah. my research. But you're, you're from Atlanta. Yeah, well, I was born in Houston, but we moved to Atlanta when I was eight years old. So okay, where in like Atlanta did you and, live? Yeah, I grew up in Stone Mountain. Okay, right outside right. of Atlanta, yeah. Yeah, I'm in the, I'm in the West End, so I'm not that far from. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. From the I used to be out there quite often. Yeah. yeah. What was I it like in Georgia it. State? 
I was wild, man. It was um, it was really great. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it, it was one of those schools where in you know, liberal arts college, a lot, a lot of different things, but the art department was really, really strong, really strong. Yeah. I, I think at the time Georgia State was more known for like MBAs and um, and even law, like more more known for those things. But mm-hmm. you know, at the time I was going there, like the the graphic design program was, I would say like number two, number one in the South. You know, when I was going there, mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot of great. A lot of great people. You know, it's it's uh, other things interesting about it too is that you know the the people that were we talked about we talked about the mentors earlier, Kara Walker, the really famous artist. Her father was one of my art professors. You know, really? in, in those like yeah, in those early hmm. fundamental kind of um those uh, those early fundamental um what are they called those foundational classes foundational yeah. art classes yeah. And so talking to him about like art and life and things like seeing another like another you know n- another black man in a position of um, position of influence. He was the head of the art department and he was great, man. I, I would come and talk to him about everything. You know, he was really amazing. So, um, and he, and also a great artist in his own right. So he wanted me to actually stay, be a, become an artist, but I, I decided to do graphic design. But um, I remember talking to him like, you know, in his class, I remember like being in his class for figure drawing and him giving me like great advice and like, get, you know, coaching me and always saying like, this is really great. You know, back in the day, they used to just kind of like you, you would turn in your assignment and then you would get it back with like, you know, the notes from your teacher, like, you know, what you what you should work on. And it was a lot of times it was um, it was two grades. It was you know, one for concept and um, and then one for craft. And so there would be like a B over a C or A over a B or something like that. So mm-hmm. I still have those notes from Larry Walker. Like he, he he's an amazing, amazing artist, um, amazing person to talk to. So I think during that during that, during that time. I was just being like, I was just open, exposed to everything. Like all the people that were doing art, photography, filming video, it was still like early, early Mac stuff. So there was like an AV Mac. So you can actually like take a VHS. That's how old I am. <laughs> you take like a VHS or a v- <laughs> and like you know, rip video for this AV Mac because it had AV cords. You can like, um, you can hook up to it. So it, it was, it, yeah, it was just like, like, like really fun. And you know, what's, you know what's really interesting about that too is like, I think about that time and my father's an engineer and he always, he always wanted me to, draw on the computer and mm-hmm. we always had computers around when i was a kid and you know it turns out like all that stuff he was like kind of pushing me to do and i did it kind of begrudgingly sometimes but i did it but you know from like you know I, I would say from like age age six six on i was drawing on the computer and so like once i got to georgia state and was doing working in like in, in adobe like illustrator or, or photoshop it was like it was like secondhand man it was like really really simple I was doing really complex stuff, and like my classmates were all like, "I was like, you're so good at this. How do you how do you get so good?" I was like, "I've been working on all, all these like backwards like you know drawing programs like that came with the OS or like the MS DOS or whatever came with all that stuff since I was like eight years old. So it was all it was all kind of secondhand or nice. second nature at that point. Uh, but but getting back to your question, I kind of rambled. Georgia State was you know really excellent experience, and you know one of the harder things I've ever done. You know, getting your degree is like. For me, it was just difficult because I, was, I wasn't a great student, so I had to really work hard at the, the liberal arts part. I was always really good at the art thing, but but like at you know in physics or English, any of the, any of those things, I was always like kind of a subpar <laughs> subpar student. So I really had to work at everything um, being there. Um, the other part that was great about Georgia State is that I I was um, able to kind of hang out with all the all the different colleges, so people at Georgia Tech or people at the AUC. Everybody kind of partied together, so you know I, I would take summer classes sometimes and. People from like people from Morehouse, people from like Spelman would be able to take class at Georgia State, so I would meet them. And so, at the time, at, at the same time, um, 
the neo soul movement was really happening in Atlanta. Like India Irie was like was a big artist at the time, and so they were playing these little small clubs. And I just remember going to school and them um, going to school where it was like a lot of like fun things were happening. Also, like rap in Atlanta at the time was like really big, so it was just a fun time to be in Atlanta. What year was this? I'm not trying to date you. I mean, no, like, no, I'm, cool. not trying to, yeah. I'm trying to figure that out, but I'm trying to figure out because I I came to Atlanta in '99. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in school from '96 to 2001 okay. or 2000. So then I stayed in, in Atlanta for a little, little little while after that. But so I would say like those like five or six years, anything like post Olympics, Atlanta was just booming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like after after the Olympics happened, it was like the city just people just stayed and the city just became, had this international vibe to it. It just became like a really big city, like really yeah. quickly, like overnight. Yeah. I wish I could say it's like that now. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of leveling out. Yeah. It, it's, I, it's different now. I mean, it, you yeah. know, it, it's so, it's just, I feel like Atlanta's one of those cities that tries to chase a new identity every seven years or so. Yeah. Like right now it's television and film. And before yeah. that it was like, the aquarium and more tourism stuff. Yeah. And I forgot what it might have been before that. It might have just been the post Olympics high or whatever. But I feel like it's always tries to find whatever its next new thing is instead of trying to, I guess, be its own unique thing. I don't know. I used to work in yeah. tourism here. So I, I've sat in on many a meeting of people scratching their head trying to figure out, well, what is Atlanta? Like this was right around the time they had the whole, uh, you might have been gone by this time, but they had the whole brand Atlanta. When they were trying to like make a brand for the city and a logo and a song because they felt like Atlanta needed to be branded in the way that, you know, New York was branded with the iHeart New York logo or San Francisco. You like, they felt like Atlanta needed to have a thing. And the logo that they made was so horrendous. It was like yeah. a bullet wound. <laughs> That's what it looked like. <laughs> and then they had this really terrible song with oh my god it was just it was a bad time to be in tourism you know? they were probably like they were probably like what do we have here they're like we got tons of artists we got tons of corporations yeah you know, they're were, they were probably just like looking like you're doing the grab bag throwing, well, throwing everything in a bag and just kind of like seeing what seeing what sticks well the, the problem that that ended up happening was they only kind of wanted to focus on things that were going on in like the peach tree corridor and when i say that that's like the part of peach oh, yeah. tree from like downtown to buckhead they yeah, only yeah, wanted yeah. to focus on stuff there. They weren't thinking about, well, what's happening in five points. They weren't thinking about the vibrant hip hop scene or the, the neo soul scene or anything. They were kind of just focusing strictly on Turner Field and, and, you know, stuff like that. It was, I don't know. It felt like they were trying to, I'm trying to think what's the best way for me to say this. I mean, Atlanta's a black city. It felt like they were trying to whitewash yeah. Atlanta. I'll just put it, I'll just, I'll just be honest. That's what it felt yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sitting on a lot of those meetings. It's like, well, I mean, the things that you're mentioning, yeah, that's true, but like a big part of Atlanta's identity are the black people that live here and that were part of the government and that helped form the music culture here. You can't just erase all of that and only focus on, you know, other stuff. So, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's wild, man. I, Cause I, I think those perceptions are, those perceptions are really like are really funky, right? You know, somebody gets a whiff of like artists doing like a rapper or somebody doing like one thing over the news, and all of a sudden that's like every black person. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's just not fair. Some of the perceptions, so like you're always kind of fighting against that. I, I think Atlanta did a pretty good job, but then I mean that's why I left. Like I go back there now because my parents live there, and my sisters live there, and my nieces mm -hmm. and nephews are there. 
but yeah, like, you know, going back to East Atlanta, that still feels pretty, pretty dope, unique. Five Points is a little cleaned up. It's not Disneyfied, but it's definitely like, it's definitely <laughs> on some, I used to go over there and just be people like strung out and uh-huh. bums and like, you know. Oh, wait, Five Points or Little Five Points? Store. Little Five Points. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think I went back to East Atlanta this time, but I didn't go back to Little Five Points, but I felt like, it felt like safe. It felt really safe. And it, I, it, I remember, yeah. Yeah, I remember when I was like hanging out over there. There's like, you know, there's some street people, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, East Atlanta is so gentrified right now, or at least it's, it's certainly getting that way. I mean, I live in the West End and it's starting to like creep up. I was in East Atlanta maybe about a week and a half ago or something. And I didn't realize all these like huge condos that were being built over there, like by the Reynolds Town Station. I was like, this used to be the hood. <laughs> right. And now it's like going for in the upper 180s. Like I can't. It's wild. It's amazing how how Atlanta is changing right now. So I'm, I feel like it's in an interesting kind of transitory period right now. When you were here before you went to New York, did you feel like you had sort of hit a plateau with your work and your career? I thought I could have done Atlanta. I thought I could. I thought I could have like done Atlanta really well. There was just like stuff in the back of my head, just being like, "There's another way to live," and. I thought I could have done more work here. It just felt like I wasn't, um, I thrive on the competition and like the idea sharing. And when I was leaving, like, I think Atlanta was kind of just getting like some like museum nights that were focused around like black culture. Like Fahamu Peku was an artist that was exhibiting. Yeah. Another guy um, started this kind of beach rhymes and art. Oh yeah. 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 Uh huh. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Sorry. That kind of, so that, that was like starting the bubble when I was leaving and the music stuff was already there. Like I had friends that worked at studios and, I would kind of pop into the studios and see people like recording things and like that. So that was all fun. But to me, the culture wasn't quite there yet for what I wanted. And I always had like an affinity for New York. Like I, you know, I think um, New York is interesting because it, you know, you kind of fall in love with a certain movement. Some people moved up here because of like the Harlem Renaissance. But for me, I was really in love with that, like into the seventies, early eighties, punk rap, early hip hop, Andy Warhol, Jean-Michel Basquiat, all those like that weird, that like crazy convergence of like culture. I was like obsessed with that party. And when I got here, that party was over by like 30 years, it, like ended like 30 <laughs> years ago. And so I was like, oh snap, like that's not even here anymore. You know, without even thinking it through, but that's what I fell in love with. And that's the part that, that I really liked about New York. So, so I came up here trying to like, you know, not necessarily find that, but like see if I can like find people that were like, like-minded and like, and make cool work while I was mm-hmm. here. What are you excited about at the moment? I'm excited about all these investment apps <laughs> like Betterment and like there's another one I love. It's called Robinhood. Like I love mm-hmm. all these like kind of like money apps. They're really interesting. Like on the on the tech side of things. That that's not like necessarily a career thing, but that's what I'm like, you know, excited about from that standpoint. And then in terms of like, you know, my career, like I'm really excited about like something really niche right now. There's this like producer called Knowledge. His name is Knowledge. Uh-huh. And he did a couple of mixtapes with he took like vintage Meek Mill flows. And added like instrumentals to them, and mm-hmm. it's really amazing. I'm really excited about that. Actually, that's like dope. Because okay. like Meek Mill, I never really like listened to him a lot. Like I would hear him on cameos with like Rick Ross or whatever. But hearing like Knowledge Beats and Knowledge work, he worked with like Kate Trinata, so it's kind of that like psychedelic, yeah, R and B ish kind of like like vibe. But to hear those, to hear that music mixed with like the harshest flows in the world, the most angriest. Like the most angriest <laughs> gutter flows in the world is like a really like exciting combination. So I'm really hype on that right now. I just listened to uh, Nipsey Hussle's new album called okay. Good Dream Lap, and I really like that a lot. That's dope. Yeah, 
Yeah, so I'm always looking for like new music or, or new things, like n- new art, things like that. I guess that kind of comes with the territory with, with being at Vivo. That helps out. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, I, I think um, I think working in music is always, it was always a dream. And so to be, to be able to work in the music industry has been really amazing. You know, being exposed to like all these artists and, and their music and, and their visuals has been been really exciting. And then be able to kind of contribute to that conversation. I think it's a good matchup. Who are some other designers or, or artists that you admire? The people that I really like in love with Jeff McFetridge, he's just just one of the most amazing. He has like an illustrative style, but he's a painter. He used to be like a designer, motion guy. He used to do stuff, but in the in the last years have been has been really doing mostly um, mostly fine art and exhibiting. Some like my design heroes, like I'm a really big Stephen Heller fan. Like I like his writings, so I read that a lot as I was kind of coming up, um, just around like design philosophy and design. Um, design thinking, things like that. I really like Mike Mills. He's one of my favorites. He's, you know, he, he did early Beastie Boys artwork and he also um, worked at Inman Company, which is, Inman Company is Tibor Coleman. So Tibor Coleman did all the colors, um, Colors Magazine, Art Direction early on. He had a company called Inman Company and not really known for being a designer, but really known as an ideas guy. But he, he did really great, really great art direction work, really great editorial work for, um, for Colors Magazine. And then Mike Mills, you know, happened to work there while he was there. And so as I'm like, you know, becoming or f- figuring out my like design, my design ethos or like who I like or, you know, who am I drawn to? You start kind of just like finding out who the inspirations were for the people that inspired you. So mm-hmm. um, I came across T-Board through that. I would say right now I'm also like a really big fan of a company called Man vs. Machine out of the UK. They're really good. They do like a lot of like 3D like really like premium 3d work for for networks and and for installation I'm trying to think who else i'm not really big fan of gretel gretel is a great like a great design company here in new york they they did like the, the rebrand for netflix and um and for viceland working those projects so they're like a really amazing company i mean there's definitely more there's countless more but like those are yeah. the ones that I always are i'm always kind of thinking about yeah do you have a dream project that you love to do the next one <laughs> i think now that i, I think now that i'm I've been working for maybe like 20 years now, I think, or 18 or something like that. And once you kind of been designed the first like five years, you kind of do everything. You kind of do everything once. So right now I'm like really excited about emerging technology and kind of bringing that in. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to do that, but that's if I can um, start working with um, start working with different materials and working with like projection or like or actual robotics or Anything like that, that's kind of where I'm looking at now is how, how can I emerge technology um, and kind of apply my, my way of thinking to those new technologies. But I just kind of started in that area, started kind of like researching recently, so I'm not there yet, but that's what I'm excited about. So working on a project that might have some other components to it besides like a, a motion or a print or, um, or a web or, or digital component, something, something like physical or like that lives in a space. And Okay. Yeah. I know that's kind of abstract, but that I think like, I might get like beat up for this one, but like relational aesthetics, like putting like things in a space, people can interact with it. Yeah. I'm kind of like in, into that idea right now. Well, I think that's something that from the people that I've had on the show before who have done a lot of different types of design, I feel like moving into physical things is like the, I don't want to say the last step, but I feel like that's a natural progression. You yeah. work so much in digital and what ends up happening is a lot of your work is pretty ephemeral. You yeah. you kind of do what you do, and then it's it's gone maybe within a year or two years or what have you, and you have to kind of move on to the next thing. Whereas you make something physical, that's a more 
you know, kind of permanent space. So I feel like that's a natural progression. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I, I was really obsessed with permanence like early on in my career and then kind of like lost the idea. But now kind of going back to it, yeah, I would love to kind of like have that have that back in my work. What is it that kind of keeps you motivated and inspired with your work? It always, from what I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing here, it sounds like you're always striving to kind of get to whatever the next level of your career is. I think, you know, for me, it's just about kind of staying, like really understanding what I'm curious about. Right now, there's like a lot of noise out there and, you know, social media, Instagram, like a lot of different things are out there. Like a lot of, like there's a lot of like visual culture that's more than it's been in the past. There are more visual examples out there. So I would just say like, for me, it's always been about like, what am I curious about and how can I incorporate that? How can I incorporate that in my, um, into my work? So, and that usually leads me into like those, those areas of where things are kind of emerging or not quite figured out yet. I think the other thing that's kind of happening too is that I, I realize that there's like a lot of problems that I'm used to solving. Mm-hmm. And there's only so many times you can solve a certain problem in a different way. <laughs> so, you know, there's also just a lack of like interest for doing other things, so for doing like similar work that I've done in the past. So, like, I, you know, I think early on I was really hyped about doing like logos or things like that for, for Cartoon Network or Nickelodeon. And I still like doing logo work, but I'm a lot more interested in doing the stuff that I think is like that people can really connect to. And I think like, you know, I think I thought when I was younger, I thought, oh, like that logo is a personification of the brand and people connect with the logo and those types of things. But those ideas are, are a little stale now. And I don't know if they really, really hold up like they used to. And so even the importance of doing logos, graphic design and doing like visual culture is really about like affecting the culture or affecting like what's going on. Then I feel like, then I feel like, you know, in, in some ways art is that art, physical things are that next level for me. So it's, and I think it's always been about that for me. I didn't know it until about halfway through my career, but it's always been about kind of affecting the culture in a, in a certain way. What advice has sort of stuck with you over the years as you've grown from studying design in college to now, you know, being at the level that you're at there in New York? What advice has stuck with you? You know, I always think about there's a really, really excellent, I would say kind of a mentee or, or mentor of mine. His name is Jacob Escobedo, and he is... I think now he's like the VP of creative over at Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. But I worked with him like a long time ago and I was probably like a year or two years out of school. And this has stuck with me and has really influenced how I, how I work with other designers or people that I'm managing or people that report to me. But I was working on a project and I was like, it wasn't really going well. And I was like, Hey man, like, what do you want me to do? Just tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. And he was like, I really want what you want. So I, I want you to tell me what you want to do with the project. And that's what I want. And so the advice he gave me was like, you know, what, what do I want to see in the world? And how can I make that? So that stuck with me. That's been the, one of the guiding principles of, of, my, of my career is just what do I want to see in the world and how can I create that? And I think when you come out of school or you work for somebody at a job and they're art directing you or they're creative directing you, you know, some creative directors or art directors kind of want to see their vision through. Mm-hmm. And I never really wanted that. I always wanted the the person that was working on the project, like on the ground with their hands to present a perspective. And then I would just help them refine that perspective and meet them halfway. And so that advice really stuck with me and like really made me and it really like changed my the way I approach collaboration or how I how I even take direction from people. Because at the, at the end of it, people just want you to do what you want to do. People want you to be happy for the most part. The other advice that I received um, when I was when I was really young, I was one of, one of my dad's friends, and 
he just told me like if you have a thought about doing something you should just do it so if you want to play the guitar try to play the guitar so what that really meant for me was if you try a bunch of stuff you can know what you don't like <laughs> you can just like you can stop like obsessing over things that you don't have you don't, you're not passionate about so yeah i tried to play the guitar and i didn't like it so i stopped <laughs> you know what i'm saying so like so you you just kind of like you get a better gauge on what you actually like yeah. if you try a bunch of different stuff you can rule out things really easily so you can actually simplify your life by just trying a bunch of crap that's real i, I can yeah. feel that yeah where do you see yourself in the next five years what do you want to what kind of work do you want to do i'm still kind of figuring that piece out now but i you know i'm really interested in, in kind of figuring out like this design art in a in a raw space like working with technology PC. I, I, it's, it's not quite formed in my head, but I guess I, I see myself being a creative technologist. So a person that like, takes their creativity and combines it with like technology, new technology, preferably. That's where I kind of see myself like kind of ending out my career. I feel like if there's anywhere where you could make that happen, it's New York. I feel like the New York design scene is always on the cutting edge, probably even the bleeding edge of, of kind of what's next with design. So I think you can make yes. that happen. Yeah, yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's definitely a possibility, definitely like a, a real thing. Just a matter of um, staying curious and making sure that I can, I can still live. <laughs> I'm not like, you know, <laughs> I can still like, you know, pay the rent and keep my kid in school, that kind yeah. of stuff. So, yeah. Is your kid interested in design? Well, he, he's he's four years old, so he's developing. But that's the best time. Yeah. <laughs> that's the best time. It's it's funny. I'll tell people, you know, we we were kids. We all grew up doing creative, artsy design stuff with colors and drawing and all that stuff and it feels like the older we get the more they get snuffed out of us you know yeah because because the, the mentality is like drawing is like a kid's activity or something yeah it has like a connotation to it or yeah he's really obsessed with with legos and building things and mm -hmm. i can see that system the his approach to like he's building like little systems or little worlds i can see him doing that even at age of four three and then he also is kind of a, a bit of an actor uh -huh. and so the wife and I are kind of surprised by that. I mean, I think we both always wish we were like performers or, or professional athletes or something like that. But we all wish that we were, we all wish that we were doing like, we always wish we were, that we were like um, either a pop star or like professional athlete. And so we kind of have a little bit of exhibitionism in, in, in ourselves, but uh -huh. we see it in him and we're like, oh snap, this kid's going to be an actor because he, he does, he, he does like fake falls. He'll, <laughs> he'll like fake fight me and act like he's getting hit. And he'll, um, He'll have me and his mom put on like capes and we're like a superhero gang. So he'll like do <laughs> stuff like little theater things to like get us like to get us engaged. And yeah, he's, he's a really funny guy. Um, his name is Mathis. Yeah, he's a great kid. But, but I, I see the acting thing in him. And I, and I also see like he's pretty athletic. So I see him doing something with like, you know, either acting or or maybe even like um, maybe even sports. I'm not quite sure. But yeah, but then he also has this like this like, you know, drawing like Lego building side, too. So I don't know what he's going to do. Hey man, that's that yeah. is a, a great age to kind of just see what he latches on to, and then you know yeah. you can help nurture that. Both you and your wife. We just got him into taekwondo, and he loves that. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work and everything online? My website is Daniel-Dixon.org, and those are my um, you know a lot of my recent works for like for Nickelodeon for Vivo and Tribeca. Also, I have an Instagram feed. It's pretty cool. It's um, Dan is all right. I have a trash series right now. So <laughs> people can check that out. <laughs> a trash series? 
Yeah, I just like photograph like um like pretty like common objects, but it's trash in the in the fact that it's like on the street. Huh. Okay. Yeah. So I've been doing that. I'm, <laughs> I'm about. I know it's kind of weird, but I you know I'm coming up on like a hundred posts, a hundred like trash pics. So I'm oh, gonna nice. Do something like that. Yeah. But they're they're tasteful though, so it's not like grotesque things like you know rotting food or anything like that. But it's actual yeah. like it's like you know it's it's common objects, but they're somebody just like put them down and then come back to get them. <laughs> so. You know, I call it trash. I don't know if you've heard of a, a designer named Diane Holton. Does that name sound familiar? No, I don't know her. So she is the, God, what's her title? She's deputy art director at AARP. Um, okay, yeah. Dope designer. She's been on the show. She's episode 129 if you want to take a listen. But she just finished a series that she was doing on Instagram. It was called Daily Digits. And what she would do is take common objects and arrange them into numbers. So, like, she'll take, I don't know, like, bobby pins and form the number 11. Or oh, take it. flowers and yeah. make the number 88. You know what I mean? Like, something like that. And she's done a thousand of those and documented them all through Instagram. Yeah. I'm going yeah. to get my game together. That was a lot. <laughs> you know what's great about that? Like, I, I love what's happening with these, um, these daily projects because it gives you something to kind of um, to look forward to. Like everybody's doing them, like like three sixty five days of posters, or like or somebody doing a poster every day. So there's like all these little projects, and people are just like doing them, and it's like a nice outlet. You know, for me, the trash picture like a nice outlet. You know, mm-hmm. I use my I use my phone to like take these images, and and then for um for the lady you just mentioned, her taking those common objects and making numbers out of them, probably like very therapeutic for her. She yeah, probably loves it's a, it. It's it's a great you know kind of exercise also, and just kind of. Yeah stepping back from the world and seeing it seeing things in a different way yeah i totally agree cool well daniel dixon i just want to thank you so much for for coming on the show and for sharing you know the work that you're doing at vivo and everything based on what i've gotten you know from the conversation i can tell that you've really been smart about making very deliberate choices around your career whether it's from being in atlanta and realizing that you've got what it takes to kind of move to the next step to then getting to the next step and realizing I need a coach to help me get even further. I think that, you know, it's hopefully a lesson for people that are listening that they can take away from that to realize that if you feel like you're at a place in your career where you're stuck creatively, you're stuck in your, you know, your job or something like that, invest in yourself, go out, talk to people. Maybe you need to hire a coach or something like that, but it's up to you to kind of take that next step so you can get to uh, to be where you want to be. And I can really tell that that's something that you take into consideration, something you've done throughout your life, and hopefully you'll, you'll continue to do. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, yeah. Thanks, Maurice. Really great talking to you and um, to the audience out there. Keep doing your thing. It's all good. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Daniel Dixon and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Daniel and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, Glitch, Google Design, and MailChimp. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. But what's it like actually working there? Everything Facebook designs is done at scale, so design critiques, metrics, and other factors are a huge part of how they work. Sound interesting? Then learn more about Facebook design and what they do at facebook.com forward slash design. 
Glitch is the friendly community where you'll build the web app of your dreams. From games to art to music and hardware, Glitch is flexible enough to create some really powerful tools. You can even use it for work or to learn how to code. The possibilities are endless. So what will you create today? Get started at Glitch.com. Whether it's defining a branding style in VR or creating a voice user interface that actually feels human, Google Design is committed to sharing the best design thinking from Google and beyond. Sign up for great stories, events, and the latest updates on material design at design.google forward slash newsletter. Again, that's design.google forward slash newsletter. You can also follow Google Design on Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. MailChimp is the world's largest marketing automation platform. They support millions of customers from small e-commerce shops to big online retailers, and they support the creative community as well. MailChimp really gives you the marketing tools to be yourself on a bigger stage. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, then please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. It only takes a minute or two. It really helps out the show, not just here in the U.S., but internationally as well. And it bumps us up in the rankings there for Design Podcasts. Even more, I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Now, if you're listening to this and you want to hear next week's episode early, then you should definitely become our patron over at Patreon. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.